This week, we get inside the amazing mind of Bassmaster Elite Series Pro, Kyle Welcher on... I'm Bob Cobb from the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Happy Wednesday, happy hump day, and welcome back to the podcast. Celebrating a lot here this week. Today is National Cheese Toast Day, National Laguini Day, National Felt Hat Day, National Double Cheeseburger Day, National Cream de Menthe Day, National Tackle Kids Cancer Day, National neonatal nurses day national online learning day and greenpeace day but it is also the day that we drop our podcast week after week and before we go into this week's episode let's talk about last week's thank you for the incredible viewership thank you for the incredible support for all our viewers also a very special thank you to pat renwick from stray casts the little things you guys don't see in the podcast world well me and pat realized that we had booked the same guest on the same day and uh, Pat decided to do it a few weeks from now. So I'll promote that date when it comes out. I think it's the 22nd, so maybe it's next week. Um, but thank you, Pat. That was very cool. Um, you didn't have to do it. Uh, I feel like people will will tune in either way, hopefully. But it is super cool. And I just thought when somebody does something like that, the world should hear about it. So... Whatever you're doing, make sure you always check out Straycast. They air on Wednesday nights as well. Um, but a big show last week, Gerald Swindle, Giant Numbers, um, our record show. And man, just the way this this channel has grown since, um, well, since starting this show, really. I mean, we have, it's nuts. I mean, if you look at our subscriber numbers, um, when we started the show, I think we had 35,000 subscribers and... Uh, Pretty close to 60,000 subscribers right now. Um, thousands and thousands of people tuned in last week. Thank you very much. Thank you for making it so much fun. Um, but this week's show is going to be really fun because this is one you guys have asked for. I mean, week after week, look through the comments. You'll see somebody asking for me to get this guy on. And with good reason. He has an amazingly bizarre way of thinking of things. I mean, uh, made a living playing poker then transcended into professional bass fishing, has been on the Elite Series the last two years, uh, finished in top 10 for Angler of the Year last year, top 25 this year, have an incredible, incredible kickoff for his first two years in the Elite Series, but what amazes me is the way he thinks about things. It's not often the way rookies think about things. It's not often the way a lot of people think about things, but it is often pretty awesome and today i want to get inside the amazingly bizarre brain of kyle welcher kyle welcher it is great to see your face it's been a little while not, and i and i kind of miss you <laughs> yeah so i i feel the same way you know we have such a long off season i really miss being a part of everything seeing everybody and even though we're we're in close proximity a lot you don't have a lot of time to you know talk to each other that much but we are around each other a whole lot. It does feel a little bit weird not having nothing to do right now. So what, when you say having nothing to do, I'm sure it's, I, I've hung around with you enough to know that nothing to do is really not part of your vocabulary very much. But what have you done since the season ended? What is your life like? So we've been trying to ramp up the filming and uh, we, we've been, I've been fishing a lot, testing new baits, testing new products, you know, trying to, trying to get anything that I kind of felt like I wasn't hundred percent confident in this season, trying to dial it in whether it be rod, reel, electronics, whatever, 
you know, whenever we're going on the road from lake to lake or like last year, we had like a month and a half, two months off to get everything dialed in for the next year. That's kind of your time where you learn and you develop your new products and you kind of get confidence in the new baits, stuff like that. So now I've got like six months to really play with stuff and get dialed in with some new techniques and kind of catch up to date with what's going on, you know, because there's so much pressure on these fisheries. There's like new trends that come around all the time. These big lulls where we don't have tournaments is when you can kind of dial that in and get confidence in doing things you don't normally do. And you can't do that on the road because you got three days of practice on bodies of water that like are as big as Champlain. You can't just like try new stuff. You've got to be trying to locate fish. So that's what I've been kind of doing the most. And then, you know, talking to sponsors and, you know, trying to do videos for them and work with them and also kind of do my YouTube thing. But it's hard to make a YouTube video right now because in the South, they ain't biting worth a crap. <laughs> this is your winter. I mean, you guys, you guys don't, I, I realized it when I hung out with more of you guys, I was like, I used to think, man, living in Canada, if I just lived in Alabama or something like that, I just fish so much more, be so much more active. Then I hung around with a bunch of you guys and I realized you have winter. It's just called summer when it's too hot to go right. outside, just like we're hiding inside when it's too cold. Right. The, the good thing about here, though, is we have a lot of current. We have like all our rivers have a ton of current and the hotter it gets, the you know, the further up the fish go in these rivers and the shallower they get. You don't get many bites, but it's really, really fun to catch them that way. So this time of year, it is hot. It's miserable. And you might not get the six bites. but They're going to be big ones and they're going to bite a frog usually. So I'm, I'm happy with it. You have an incredible YouTube following. And what I mean by that is there, it is almost cult-esque. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, it may not be, and I know maybe one day it will be, it may not be the numbers of some YouTube, you know what I mean? Subscribers and that sort of thing. But dude, I'm going to tell you, there isn't a, it's very rarely that we do a show that we don't have at least one person commenting on when are you going to have Kyle on? When are you going to have Mon? Like you've got an army of people out there fighting for you. Why do you think that is? I have no idea. I really appreciate it. You know, that's kind of the backbone of this whole thing. All of us are trying to do this social media stuff and, you know, trying to get people to kind of pull for us and, and, you know, kind of have that type of a following. I don't know why, but I, I've noticed it too. I've had a lot of people tell me that like people really seem to root for me and they, they really seem to like the kind of content I put out. I was a lot more genuine than a lot of people from the get go. So like I, last year before I had a lot of sponsors for like baits and stuff. And that was by design. You know, I wasn't wanting to take a, you know, a bait sponsor that didn't pay a lot of money for me to, you know, be committed to advertising for them when I didn't think the deal was worth it and I'd have confidence in their bait. So I yeah. stayed, I stayed pretty free in that category. So I made actually like a true series where I told every single brand, every bait of everything that I used all year. And I kind of think people kind of appreciated that because it's, that's kind of a, a lost deal in fishing. There's so much, there used to be a lot of secrets. Now everybody tells everything, but everything, all their recap videos happen to be all sponsor baits. And it's like, man, nobody throws all sponsor baits all the time. But, you know, I feel like that was kind of part of it. And also people, I started a YouTube channel. I was fishing out of a broke down Cadillac on the side of the river on, on Lake Chickamauga. And then I got a decent amount of people watching those videos. And then people seen me pay for the opens, fish the opens, fish the Toyota series. I qualified for the elites and the FOW pro circuit chose to go to the elite. So people in a very short period of time have watched it all come together and it came together way faster than I ever expected. And I think people just feel kind of invested in it. And I'm, I don't know, really understand it, but I'm sure glad it's like that. But I've had a lot of people tell me that, you know, people are out there fighting for me and I do appreciate it. So y'all keep on. <laughs> it, it's great to see. And it's, you know, that topic you just brought up about making it to the elite series that was one of the topics we kind of talked about a lot last week when Swindle was on. And 
I mean, I hear it all the time. People are like, well, you only make the elite series if you're rich. You only make the elite series if you have 45 graphs on your boat. And, and dude, I have some rich buddies who have more than 45 graphs in their boat. And they, they, they can't make the, the kindergarten crappie series. So right. I, I, I disagree with that. But where's your take on that? So I qualified for the elites with eight rods. And I had a, I had a graph at the console and a graph at the front. And I only even used the grass for one tournament, I think was my worst finish all year. So, I mean, you definitely don't have to have that. Qualifying for the Elite Series is a – you just got to have solid days. You don't have to catch a 28-pound bag on Harris Chain. You, you don't have to go to Oneida and catch 21 pounds of smallmouth. That's not what it's about. Making the Elites is about your worst day of the year. It's not about your best day. And all those electronics and graphs and stuff like that, they'll make you have some really big days and, and help you out a lot. But unless you really got like our, like Patrick Walters or Wheeler, one of those guys that have it just super dialed in, you're going to have some inconsistencies there unless you're super good at it. So qualifying for the elites is about your worst day, not your best. And you don't have to have all that money to be a consistent angler or do all that type of stuff. So I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I think you've got to, have a schedule that kind of fits how you like to fish or else find those types of fish. And you got to be pretty versatile, but you don't have to be all dialed in offshore because a lot of times those guys that have all those grass and stuff, they're not usually the most consistent anglers, but whenever they catch them, they catch them really big. So, I mean, I think it's actually rare to see somebody be super consistent with electronics where you've got people like Christy or Hackney who are shallow water grinders. They're super consistent. The guys that typically are electronic guys, are they're not quite as consistent, but they catch them big and they win more often. So that's kind of my take on it. And making the elites, you got to be consistent for sure. So you you mentioned your series, the Truth Series. Mm -hmm. As an Elite Series pro, that is one of the things that I think that you guys get a lot of pressure from sponsors to always be using their product. Has that, has that in pressure increased or how have you avoided that pressure as your careers moved on? I got extremely lucky in this aspect where I literally am sponsored by the, the companies I would have handpicked. Like if you would have went into the thing and that, that worked out because I held off going into my rookie season, I could have got, you know, a soft bait deal or a hard bait deal or whatever I wanted for a little bit, you know, uh, uh, for some money, but then I would have been kind of tied in starting to build a relationship with that company whenever I didn't want to go that direction. So I held off and I just didn't have any of those types of sponsors until I got in contact with the right people at the right companies and started having a little bit of momentum. And I was able to get on with the companies that I literally would have handpicked. So when I started fishing for the opens, if you'd have told me to write down a list of the exact companies I want to be sponsored by, that's who I'm sponsored by right now. So I'm super happy with that, but still, you know, sometimes you catch them on a bait that you're not sponsored by. And then the rule is you just, you just can't plug them by name. You know, that, like, that's just what it is. Like, even, nobody says hide it. They don't say hide it at all. It's just you don't go on there and say that you caught them on a brand that's a competitor of somebody that's, you know, paying you. So that's that's kind of the way it is. I, though, have been extremely fortunate, and I, I can't even believe how good it went as far as the sponsorship deal goes because I, I literally have exactly who I want. It's perfect, but though. You're also not put in a bad position because you see people who take deals, early deals, and you're like, dude – Right. I know you don't use the freaking <laughs> lawn chair rod holder, you liar. I mean, you might run the lawn chair rod rod holder wrap, but you do not. I don't see one of them on your boat. Right. Uh, yeah. But but I think it also allows you to continue to be the person you are and kind of be genuine all the time. If if you know, if you're just with the brands that you have faith in, which 
sounds stupid, but it really is sensible. Yeah, it, it is. And sometimes I think about it and I'm like, there's people in this world that have real problems. Like there's a big, a big part of the country that have like serious problems. Yeah. And I get all bent out of shape and analytical and I'll get all in depth about a lure to catch a bath, you know, and sometimes it kind of puts it in perspective, but for me, it's super important. So yeah, I, it does relieve a lot of pressure for me to be able to do that. Cause a lot of guys, they are constantly, they're, they're putting certain baits in the bags of whatever brand they're sponsored by and pulling it out on live, making it look like it came out of that bag. And you know, that do they do that. Uh, well, allegedly <laughs> allegedly okay everything's allegedly on this show just so you know. yeah so <laughs> I, I don't have that pressure because i did get to go with who i who i wanted to go with so yeah but you, you're exactly right a lot of people do have to deal with that they kind of kind of got to kind of toe the line and you know whatever people are qualified for the elites you're a rookie or whatever it's kind of hard to make the ends meet so you have to kind of do whatever you have to do to to stay in there and hang around and get the job done. So I understand it from all aspects. I'm just really, really glad I didn't have to go that route. You're two years into your career now, right? Elite series career. What's different than you imagined, or is it all pretty much what you imagined? It's all pretty much what I imagined. I think that uh, going into it, I didn't understand how big of a percentage of it was time management. And that's one thing, even, even, I mean, it's kind of like going to college. It's like yeah. you don't have to be extremely smart if you manage your time correctly. So it's just whenever you're completely consumed with something like like a week of an elite event where like there is one priority, period. And whatever you have to do to get that done is whatever it takes. So I didn't realize how big of a percentage of it was time management. I also didn't. I mean, I've traveled around a decent amount of fish, but bass act the same almost anywhere you go. Like they really, really do. They like the same type of stuff no matter where you go. So, I mean. All that stuff wasn't super weird, but I get you, your time just gets away from me when you're around lead event. Even having 15, 16 hour days of practice after three days, you're like, God, there's so much stuff that I found on Google Earth or I wanted to try that. Like I ain't, I never got to try. So, you know, time management's a big deal and rigging tackle. And, you know, you're always fixing something on whatever boat you have, always something you're trying to tweak or change or something like that. So that, that was the, that was the thing to me that was the most shocking is, how valuable your time is. You said you, you said you're obsessed with an event when you get to it. So, so how different is your, like, do you literally not focus on anything other than just that tournament and getting rest to continue to put pieces together for that tournament? Or is your life about the same outside of competition? No, there is whenever I'm, that's one thing that I feel like I have to get better at is I don't have a really good balance between like spending time with my wife and, you know, communicating with a lot of people and stuff during that week, even not getting sleep and practicing too much. I really feel like I overdo it around the weeks of tournament. So leading up to an event, I do a lot of research and stuff like that, but I have a lot better balance. And then as soon as we leave the event, I don't watch, like if I didn't make day three or day four, I don't watch live. I, I don't, I don't do any of it. Like I don't, I don't pay any attention to even like the weights that ended up winning. Cause when I'm done with the event, it's on to the next one period. Like I don't, Really? If, if I see if I see a clip on Instagram afterwards for that bass posted, that's about all I'm gonna see from the event. And then I'm I'm looking forward to the next one because that one's I have no so my whole concept of bass fishing is make the best decision you can make right now. Like I've got buddies of mine and we will fish small tournaments or whatever, and we'll be trying to make the decision: do we run up the river? Do we run over here? And we run over here, and they'll be like, "Man, we should have." Uh, I got a call coming in. Sorry. So they'll say, man, we should have ran up the river first instead of going here. And I'm like, well, 
I don't think about it like that. I think this is where we're at right now. What decision do we make from here? I don't want to look back at the, at the last tournament and say, man, I should have went over here and did what this guy did. Because that's not the proper way to think about it. The proper way to think about it is you're right where you are right now. What's the best decision to make from this exact moment? So watching live, all that's going to do is help me make a decision if we go back to the lake the next year. So I'll wait until we're, that's on the schedule. Then I might go back and watch live or something like that. And for the most part, I'm looking forward to the next one as soon as that one's over. So that's what I'm gearing up for. I'll be, I'll be in the truck with Hunter driving, making a tackle warehouse or wherever order to, you know, get some stuff to the next event. So that's, that's, that's just kind of the way that I do it. I watch less live than probably anybody except for previous tournaments on that lake. Wow. Wow. It amazes me because, you know, you would think that natural, especially after a rough one, you know, yeah. I got to see where I went wrong, but I guess you're right. I mean, it's all about forward progress. If you, if you, you know, halfway through a marathon, if you have, or don't have a good pace, you don't go back and look at how your stride was off or it's just going to screw it up. You just focus on that next step being the right step. That's right. Do you understand that that's a different way of thinking of things than, than, than a lot of people do? Yeah. I, whenever I talk to people, they always say that I think about stuff differently. And I mean, I'm not saying that I think about stuff in a better way or anything like that, but I definitely, I think about everything different than most people. So I do, whenever I talk to people, it's definitely, we, we, a lot of times think about things in completely different ways. Like it's, we, we, everybody I talk to is like a complete 180 from me. So I, I do understand it's different, but I don't know how to change it. That's just how I've always been. You think of things that nobody thinks of, and, and I could be totally wrong. Maybe I shouldn't be throwing this out there, but I believe at some point you either told me or I saw you say this on a video at some point that you don't eat a lot of bread because it messes up your brain. Is that true? <laughs> so, so in a very like uh, like rudimentary, I guess I guess rudimentary <laughs> is the word, I, in like a, a very uncomplex a very simple the way i can way. understand yeah, yes it does it does like uh, it hurts performance all the way around but uh since i'm gonna tell you i had two bad tournaments in new york this year champlain and then on st lawrence i made a terrible decision that i'm still mad about i've been eating a ton of bread since then so right now my brain performance is probably way down but for the most part whenever i was fishing the opens my first year on the elites and then probably three quarters of the way through this year I just try to eat super healthy. I try to eat really clean. And yeah, I mean, you shouldn't eat a lot of sugar. That's pretty well known. And uh, as soon as you eat bread, it turns into sugar. So, but, but the, the reason I always say bread is because everything that you get that's fast on the road yeah. is a sandwich. There's yeah. bread on it. So bread is like the one thing that I really try to cut out as much as I can, but everything that tastes good, has got bread on it. That's, that's the problem. But yeah, I, I definitely think that it, it hurts performance for sure. Yeah, those are the nuggets about you that I love, dude. That's the weirdness where you're like, you're like, oh, this is a dude from Alabama. You know, he played poker and he's good at that and what. But then you throw out something like that, and I'm like, he thinks of things a whole other level. Has that always been the way? Like, have you your entire life? Do you always remember like grade school and stuff, thinking like, man, I'm not thinking of this the same way they're teaching me or other people are doing things. I remember vividly. Uh, Whenever I was in, I can't remember, first, second grade, something like that, we had a, a times table, like nine times nine. Well, we had like a race of all the times tables to see who could get them the fast. And the teacher pulled me to the side afterwards because I was, I was finishing my worksheets extremely fast. And she was like, what are you doing in your head to get these to get these numbers? And whenever I explained to her the way that I was multiplying these numbers, 
she was like, I've never seen anybody do it like that. And I remember that vividly because it was the first time somebody told me that, like, you're doing this the wrong way. That's what she told me. She's like, you're doing this the wrong way. But I was the fastest. <laughs> so, so but, but I remember I remember explaining to her the way that I got like I was doing the sevens or something. And she was like, yeah, I've never heard it like that. But that's not the easiest way to do it. And I was like, it may not be the easiest, but it makes the most sense to me. So, yeah, every and I, I remember that was the first my first time here. I've heard it a lot of times, though, that even like I was writing in uh, high school one time on like this board that was electronic and you could write on the tablet and it would come on the board. And the way that I wrote all my numbers, everybody was like, you write backwards from everybody. And I was like, well, the way that I write, I never had to pick the pencil up and it's faster. And, then, and so they were like, they were like, but it's backwards. I was like, I don't know. I'm just telling you, that's, that's how I write. Everything, everything is, I think about things a lot differently and I'm, I'm not saying it's better because I really don't think it is, but I've always done stuff differently like that. But it's the way it's better for it might not be better, but it's better for you. I mean, that's that's yeah. one of the things, the weird things about school. And I think maybe it's getting better. But I remember I had a similar when I would do math, I'd always add up the tens first. You know what I mean? In my head, they'd say, do your time table or whatever. But I'd be I'd round up to tens and then add the ones to it. You know what I mean? It's, that's how I do it. And to me, I, I still generally when I'm working something out, I can work it out a lot quicker than most people because right. But that was wrong, told me it was wrong in school. And now I go to my kids' stuff, and the teachers are actually teaching that way in some way. So maybe I, you were I a trendsetter. Know. You was ahead of your time. That's what it was, trendsetter. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to education, I was definitely ahead of my time. Right. So what was school like for you? Did, did you like school or no? I really did. I really liked school. I've never, I've, uh, <clears throat> I had some times whenever I was a little bit younger where I was just like, Oh, uh, this is miserable. You got to be here all the time. But I, I, I learned early on that there's things you can enjoy about everything you do, even if it, even if it, you know, school or whatever. Where that's the last place on earth you want to be whenever you're 16 years old and want to fish every day. But there's things you can enjoy in everything you do. And even, you know, even now, like whenever I have to go do something that's a little bit uncomfortable, like have a big meeting or speak in front of people or something like that, I always think that like afterwards you're going to be better at it. So like, even if yeah. you do bad at this one, like even, even if I go talk in front of a bunch of people and I do bad at it, I'm going to be better at it for next time. So it's always like a growing spirit. So there's, there's always something that you can enjoy out of the thing that you're really dreading. And that's kind of my outlook at whatever I got a little bit older in school. That was kind of my outlook. There's, there's things that you enjoy about school. So yeah. just like, just like do that and try to have the best time you can and just do the stuff that's necessary while you're there also. So that's, but whenever I was a little bit younger, I, I pretty much was miserable there for a while. But after I got a little older, I, I matured a little, you know. <laughs> the, the learning thing to, to me with you is amazing. Like, I, and I don't even mean school, but I just mean when I watch you, I've always said this to you when I first met you, like I ask you weird questions, like, and it's not, and I'm trying to think of like instances off the top of my head and I can't even hardly think of any, but your reaction is not always the same as somebody at your point in your career. Um, do you think... Uh, you're, you're pretty tight with Wheeler, obviously. Wheeler was on this show. Wheeler's got an incredible track record. Do you think any of that comes from that? Or what do you take from a relationship like that? Or is it just, hey, he's my buddy and we happen to work in the same line of work? No, I think that, uh, I think me and him talk pretty in depth about a lot of stuff like fishing related and strategy and stuff like that. And I mean, he's, he's on another level than anybody I've ever seen as far as strategy and knowledge you know, as, as him specifically. So that's why he's, I mean, that's why he's the best, man. He knows everything about like every lake, every tournament that's been won on every single, like 
any lake in the country, he can tell you the last tournament where it was one of what creek. And I mean, like he he's that dialed in, has that good of a memory and knows that much stuff about it. I I feel like I just kind of go with the flow more and try to adjust constantly. Like I I feel like those kind of relationships do help a lot, especially on the on the business side of bass fishing and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's kind of a personal deal. Like there's there could be guys that are friends and one guy's real anxious and one guy's not, and they can't really like learn that much from each other as far as like performance wise because yeah. they have such different personalities and uh, i've just always been kind of laid back and i mean talking to him does give me a lot of insight into the industry and stuff like that but for the most part you know it's more of a more of a fishing tactic and we're buddies and stuff like that but yeah i mean you do get a lot from it. anybody that's successful in the industry you, you can learn a lot from them so i do try to but yeah I, I do feel like it helps but it's not i was already laid back before you know well, and, and you look at, and I think when Wheeler competes, he's fairly laid back. Like there's really only one exception. When you think of the people um, that have really, you know, the superstars of the sport, I would say there's one exception and it's Ike and Ellie. He's really the only dude who on the, like on the water, you see anglers and they might be more excitable on shore, but when they get out there, it's like a, oof, a calm goes over you. Do, is, is the water where you truly feel the most at home? I do. I really, really do. Like, even now, I would rather, like, go – like, if I'm rigging tackle or whatever, I would rather go on the lake and power pole down somewhere and just rig right there in the middle of the sun. Like, I feel so much calmer there. I feel like that's where I, I'm supposed to be. And I just like being out there. Like, I have fished, like, 12 or 14 days in a row now. I fished – in the past two weeks, I've probably fished nine tournaments, eight or nine tournaments. Well, you know, they're like seven or 10 or 12 boats in the evening or something like that with a bunch of buddies that I fished around forever. That's literally where I want to be. And I'm really glad that now I can do it professionally. So, I mean, it is, though. It's where I feel really calm. And I get a little bit anxious before, like, blasting off boat numbers, like the classic. Whenever you called boat number one, I had no nerves at all. We called boat number one, I was like, oh, it's hat. As soon as we blast it off and I trimmed her up, gone. We're back, back to fishing. That's all yeah. we're doing. So, on the water, whenever I'm out there, that is 100% where I feel the calm. That's where I feel like what I'm supposed to be. I asked Wheeler this. I asked Gerald this, too, and I'm going to ask you it. The, in angling, if I had to break it up into three different categories, one being uh, physical, your physical ability to, to place the bait right, fish the bait right, and that sort of thing, to do the job. The other one being knowledge meaning your research of that body of water, all you know, and the third one being mental and that's your, you know, your outlook, your positivity, that sort of thing. Can you rate those? What, what percentage of those in importance in your, in your life? Okay. So the knowledge and the mental go, go together. So number one, number one has to be mental because you have to be, you have to be willing to adjust, making good decisions and calm and positive and stuff like that. But you have to have the knowledge. But the problem with having the not like you can have the knowledge and performance and not be able to implement it without having the mental there. So implementation is everything in this sport, because there there are guys that know everything about bass fishing. Like they know all the techniques. They're super up to date with it. They have the knowledge, but they can't you know, they, they don't have like the best tournament results because they can't implement it. And that's the same thing with everything is if you can't implement the knowledge efficiently and correctly, you're not going to have a good result. And performance is like. Like as far as physically casting and stuff like that, that is a distant third, extremely distant third. Like I think that if you're in the right spot, the right place, 
you could use the absolute, like the right place and making the right decisions. You could use the worst possible rod for the technique and point the rod straight at them and just wind it in with the wrong kind of line. And you're going to land like 60% of it. But if you're out of your mental thing, you're not going to get that bite and you're going to land any of them. So I feel like mental is number one. Knowledge is a close second and performance is a very distant third. What percentage of your decisions on the water are planned and what percentage of your decisions on the water are gut? Just telling me I need to go there and do this. Initially, I want one planned decision. So I want to, I want to know where I'm going to start. I try to put a lot of S of, of, you know, a lot of like, I don't know. I don't know what you'd say, but I put a lot of thought into where I'm going to start at and kind of the direction that I think I want to go. Uh, like if I want to go up river. My first stop's probably going to be a couple miles up river and I might work my way up. Or if I want to go down the lake, I'll kind of gear it towards that. But I want to plan my first stop. And then after that, I want to make decisions on the fly. So if you're, if you're supposed to be one of the best at something like bass fishing or any kind of a game that is meant, you know, the more decisions you make, the better you're going to perform. Because if you're going to make above average decisions, you want to make as many decisions as possible. So if you get, if you get faced with 100 decisions and you make above average decisions, 60, 60 out of 100 are going to be right. So whenever you're, whenever you're bass fishing, the more decisions you make in a day, the more likely you are to have a positive result if you're good at making the decisions in bass fishing. So I want to go out there and have one planned spot and then from there make as many decisions as I possibly can based on the conditions and the surroundings and stuff like that. And at some point, I feel like you're going to get rewarded and have a good result. So that's, that's kind of my outlook on it. If, you, you know, if you're good at whatever you're doing, make as many decisions as possible. If you, if you sit down the night before – and you write down, I'm going to stop on these 27 places tomorrow, and that's what I'm going to do. And you could you could get it out to I'm going to spend 32 minutes on this spot, move to the next one. And you could do that. I don't know anybody that does, but you could. But you're not allowing yourself to make those adjustments and make those decisions based on your surroundings when you're out there. So all that's going to come down to is who has the best game plan, who had the best strategy going into it. You're not allowing your actual instincts and knowledge to give you a better performance on the water. And that's not the way that I ever wanted to do it. So – my bad tournaments that I have, if I shake off a bunch of big ones in practice or have a lot of places, and then I have to run like eight or ten different places where I shook off a bunch of big ones, and then all of a sudden it's like 1130 and I got one, that's like my worst tournaments always. Like I like the places where I got nothing except a starting spot, and then from there I just go fishing. That seems to be where I consistently do the best. So this year I had a lot of really good practices and a lot of really bad day one, first half of the day. So I – I really felt like I struggled a lot this year with exactly that. I got too many good bites in practice. And then by the time, I mean, if you shake off 12 five pounders in practice, you don't just run two of them and stop, you know, especially. And you can't erase that from your mind either. They're there. You caught them. You saw them. And then you have to run them all first day or whatever. And, or you got bed fish or something and you, you have to run them all because the next one might be there. And then it's like 12 o'clock and you got three hours and you better go catch four of them because you only got one. So that's, that's kind of the way that I felt like it was all year, and that's the backwards way. I don't want to do it. I want to. Ha- I want to make decisions on the fly. Constantly. Do you do you work with anyone on the water? I mean, and more and more you. But I, I before you even answered that, I, I assumed that that was the answer. Just because you work so different, it'd be hard to work with anyone. It, 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 so you you that's not nothing you'd ever entertain. No, it's not. There there would be. There's a few guys that I could see bouncing ideas off with and saying like you know, vaguely, hey, they're they're on pea gravel point. You might go spook over them and get a bite. If you run three or four of them, you're going to catch one. You know, like that kind of stuff I could see helping. 
but I, I don't ever see it being a type of a deal where we're sharing waypoints and stuff like that. I mean, if I got a decent friend of mine or something and all of a sudden on day three, I caught a big bag and he made day four, I would be like, Hey, look, I caught him really good here doing this, yeah. you know, because I'm off the water, but I, I don't want to ever go into a tournament trying to share stuff and split stuff up. And honestly, they would probably get the short end of the stick on that. Cause usually I go into a tournament not having anything. So I, I really try to f- figure it out on the water, like tournament day. A lot of times in practice, I'll just spend a lot of time riding around and marking stuff and saying, even stuff I didn't get a bite off of. I'll say, look, this is a grass bed on the inside of this point. That's in four and a half feet of water. If I start catching my grass, I'll just know that's over there. And I'll run over there and hit that real quick and stuff like that, where I want to, especially if I get a bite in a few areas, I'll run every inch of shoreline in that area without even making a cast and just kind of understand what that area has to offer so I can go run it. And that's not going to help them very much. If I say, yeah, I ran every inch of shoreline and marked everything, but I didn't get a single bite. You know, that's, that's not going to help them too much. So I don't, but yeah, I've never wanted to work with anybody. That's not kind of my deal. I don't, I don't do it for that. Like I'm not, I don't want info. I want to figure it out myself. I'm not, I'm not in this sport trying to make as much money as I possibly can and make as many checks as I possibly can. I'm in this sport because I'm proud of my progression in the sport, how much I've learned. And I really want to do it my way. Like I'm not, I would be playing poker if it was all about the money and I was trying to make checks. Like I I'm invested in this like myself and that's how I want to do it. You brought up poker. Is that something that are you, number one, are you still playing that as much and, and give me a quick kind of history of that if you can, or are you just tired of uh, talking about poker during fishing interviews? <laughs> I do get, I do get a lot of questions based on poker, but I still do play some. I really like to play. I really enjoy it. I, uh, People have a misconception of what it is. They think that like I buy in for like a hundred thousand dollars and I'm winning hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like that's not what it is. <laughs> Basically, there's only a few places in this country where you can play play poker consistently where you buy in for over a couple thousand dollars. Like there's yeah. Vegas and South Florida and every once in a while and LA. And then every once in a while one will pop up here and there. But for the most part, it's primarily smaller games where you're buying in for a thousand to three thousand. And the deal is you want to win about 70% of the time. So if, if you win or lose, you know, somewhere between a thousand and $1,500, 70% of the time you win, you're going to make, you're going to end up doing pretty good, you know, throughout the year. So that's, that's kind of what poker is, is consistently doing better than average. And you, you win some, you lose some, but over the course of a year, you're going to make a lot of money because your, your averages are so much better. So it's not a deal where I'm winning 20 grand or a hundred grand or something like that. It's just, like a eight hundred, a thousand dollars a day, pretty much. But you just win way more often than you lose. And whenever you win, you actually win bigger than you lose. At least that's been my stats over the career. But after I turned nineteen, actually, actually eighteen and nineteen, I would go down to Florida, and in Florida you could play poker at eighteen. So I'd go down there in the summer, and I would have, didn't have much money, so couldn't take a lot of money down you there. Eighteen year olds going down there for spring break. You're going for <laughs> poker. I love it. Yeah. Well, th- it was way more fun for me. I've always been real competitive and wanted to, like, if I can see myself get better at something, I'm all in. Like, if I can notice that I'm improving, I'm all in. And I can see myself getting better at poker, getting better at fishing, all that type of stuff. I always feel like I'm kind of more addicted to progress than anything else. Like, if I can see myself improving, I want to keep going. And I started getting better at poker, and I was playing online and studying a lot. And back then, it was way harder to study. And it wasn't even that long ago. But now, there's so much poker stuff on the internet. My little brother's playing stuff and stuff like that. And there's training sites and all this stuff where you can get better so much faster. Whereas whenever I was playing, there was still some YouTube videos and stuff like that that I watched. But for the most part, you just got the fundamentals. 
and you had to go implement it. And it was hard to really like now there's like charts and all this stuff. Everybody's really following. And even just, you know, eight or nine years ago, what, there wasn't that much stuff. So I would go down there whenever I was 19 and 20. And when I turned 21, I could go anywhere in the country and play poker at 21. So the day I turned, I've been playing poker in Florida since 19, 20 years old, just hundreds and hundreds of hours. <clears throat> when I turned 21, I was in Biloxi, Mississippi. At 12.01, I got off the elevator and walked into the poker room and didn't even get ID'd and went in there and sat down. I probably looked like I was about 16 years old. Didn't even get ID'd, went in there and played. Uh, I couldn't lose a hand. There's still, when I go down there to Biloxi, people talk about it. Like my first time playing, I won like twelve or fifteen hundred dollars, which was a lot in that small game. And they still talk about how I couldn't lose a hand on my birthday. So, and then I played off and on, you know. For, I mean, whenever you fish and play poker, you don't have a set schedule. So I played no. as much as I could until I had a tournament. Then I'd come home and I'd fish a tournament. Then I'd, you know, go back and play poker. So that's what I did until 2018. Whenever I started trying to qualify for the elite. Now in 2019, I fished the opens, and now we have a different career path. It's wild. That forward thinking that you, you, every answer is always like about progression. And I love that about you. And I think it's, I mean, the fact that you're addicted to progress tells me that you'll be successful in anything you do in your life. Um, but is that forward progress and always not worried about how that tournament behind it's over. We're going to the next one. Did any of that come from poker? Or did anything come from poker? I think it all came from poker. So, so basically like, Right now, if me and you want to get, like, if me and you're playing poker, we, we get all in for $10,000 a piece. And I got pocket aces and you got pocket king. Well, I'm going to win 80% of the time, right? Like, I'm going to, I'm going to win the $20,000 pot 80% of the time. But that means one out of five times you're going to win. Yeah. So, when we get all in and you win the pot, I don't care. Because, that, like, that, that has to happen one out of five times in order for me to win four out of five times. So it, I have to lose 20% of the time in order to win 80% of the time. So I, I don't care about the results. It doesn't matter. All that matters is we got it all in in a, in a position where I'm going to win 80% of the time. And that's kind of the way that I think about everything in life now is it's necessary to lose sometimes in order to win the times you're going to win. Like that's how I feel about it. And I don't worry about the results or the outcome. All I worry about is the decision I made. And, you know, the choices I made and, and how I reacted to the circumstance on the water. So whenever I leave a tournament, if I do everything right and I lost four big ones today and I should be leading. If I think back, I watched the YouTube video, I did everything right and lost them. I have no problem. If I make a bad decision, like if I go back and watch a YouTube video and I caught one doing something different that I wasn't doing and then I didn't pick up on it. And then two hours later, I caught another one on kind of the same pattern and I didn't pick up on it. I'll be extremely angry. Like, I, I don't like it whenever I miss the information that's in front of me. And it happens a lot. You miss info on the water when you're so dialed in on what you think you're going to do. So I don't worry at all about the result. I only worry about the decisions and what got you to that opportunity. So that's kind of the way that I think about things. Wow. What, I mean, you answer questions like you've won six classics and you know what I mean? Like, really, it's, it's shocking to see somebody at this point in your career to, to think about things like that. But that's also why I wanted to talk to you today, just because your mind is is bizarrely amazing to me. I mean, I, I love the way you think of, of things. What is what's your pet peeve about being a pro angler? Is there something that like if I could get rid of this, I'd be just so much easier? Don't say the MC, please. <laughs> you know, I don't have I kind of take everything that comes with. It. That's kind of the way that I think about it. I don't have anything that sticks out to me where, you know, 
I don't have any kind of problems with it. Like I understand that most things in this industry are necessary. Even the things you kind of don't like are necessary. So I don't have anything that really sticks out that I dislike about being a pro angler, even the driving and stuff. It, you know, I don't mind it too much. The one, the, my biggest pet peeve is how I run myself in the ground during practice. Like I, I, that's what bothers me about it is I feel like I, I just go way too hard and by the tournament I'm almost burnt out. So that that's kind of for me though, that's not really a pet peeve. So I just kind of take it all in and I enjoy every aspect of it. So I don't have anything that sticks out to me. Does, does that hurt you in the North? I mean, I know you had a couple tough ones in the North, but was that due to lack of time on those bodies of water? Or do you think, like you said, pointed out, one of your worst things is you burn yourself out. Well, there's nowhere you can burn yourself out more than the North because we go up there and we have like 16 hours of daylight at that time right. of year. Um, yeah. you, you can kill yourself before a tournament even starts. Yep. I, I don't think that's what happened up there this year. You know, I don't like to talk about missed opportunities, stuff like that. But on Champlain, I had the opportunities to do really well. It just, it just, they didn't come in the boat, you know, and that's, that's what that happens sometimes. I'm not one, I made a super long run on day two, had a short fishing time and I had some other obstacles that came up and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to make excuses or stuff like that. But, and then on St. Lawrence, it's a hundred percent all on me. I made a bad decision on day two. I, I had a, I had a pretty good practice, had a pretty good first day. And then on day two, I just made a, I just point blank made a bad decision and it could have happened anywhere. It just happened to be on a, on a smallmouth fishery. So I didn't really feel like it had anything to do with, with the smallmouth. I think I just made a big mental mistake where I don't, I don't know how I did it. I'm so disappointed in myself and I'm still mad about it. I just made an extremely large mental mistake and it's the worst one I've made since I've been on the elite. It just happened to be on a smallmouth fishery. So I, I feel like those two, I have a pretty good understanding of what went wrong. It just, you know, I, I don't think I was burnt out for those, but, it, you know, maybe if I have better sleep, I don't make that decision on St. Lawrence. You know, if, I, if I'm not, you know, so wore out, I don't make that decision. It's the last tournament of the year. We've been traveling a lot. We've been practicing a lot. You know, we had a lot of stuff to do, driving a ton. Maybe I was a little burnt out to maybe make that decision. I don't know, but I, I, have, I understand where those went wrong, though, so I can, I can fix it now. <laughs> When do you start working on the next year? I mean, our new schedule is out every single event. Are you already working on it? Yeah, I'm, all, I'm already kind of kind of planning. I've already got stuff ordered from all my sponsors and stuff that I feel like is going to play next year. I'm already getting kind of the, the techniques that I think can give me a shot at winning on all those kind of a deals, all, all those all those places we're going. I'm already kind of, you know, playing with it. I've been fishing with forward-facing sonar a lot in the past three weeks. And I've gotten a whole lot better at it very, very quickly. I mean, I, you know, I didn't have it a year ago. So in the past year, obviously, I've gotten a whole lot better at it. So, you know, it's I feel like I'm trying to get more well-rounded and try to already gear up for kind of the direction the season's going to go. But you don't know. Like, we might go to St. John's, and it'll be a straight-up punching bite, or we might go there, and they'll be eating a Whopper Plopper. Like, you just, you just actually never know exactly what's going to happen. So I'm just kind of trying to understand the places we're going to a little bit better, do a lot of research, and then, you know, whenever I get there, I'll kind of gear up for exactly what I want. But I just want to make sure I have everything I have and have all the confidence in my, my tackling stuff right now. That's kind of what I'm, I'm playing with right now. But I have spent a lot of time on Google Earth on all those centuries <laughs> already. Is Google Earth the unsung hero of, of the Bassmaster Elite Series? Like, is it the one thing that you don't hear a lot of people talking about Google Earth? And I'm going to tell you, we all, even DMC, spend ridiculous amounts of time peering into things on Google Earth. Yeah, I think it is. I really do think it is, especially whenever you get the – like the, the computer version where you can go back in time and see the previous like 
Like you can go on Gunnersville and see where the grass grew in 2006 and where it's choked out at and stuff like that, where, you know, you can't, you don't have that option as far as doing it on your phone, but yeah, that, that is for sure. Like how a lot of us practice whenever we're not on the water. They, it's amazing how many times I'll find like an obscure spot on Google earth and I'll put it in my, my GPS and start there day one of practicing. And like the first six spots I found on Google earth, I just like get tons of bites off of. It's just, it's unbelievable how much practice you can actually do there. Like I feel like I would have a decent shot in a one day tournament just looking on Google Earth and running that type yeah. of stuff. Obviously, I'm not going to beat like the locals or nothing, but I think I can put together a decent bag just practicing on Google Earth. But whenever you, it's always different though. Whenever you see something on there and then you get on the water, you see the other half of it that you didn't even know was there. And sometimes you'll be like, well, this place is like four times better than I thought yeah. it even was. And then you go to some place and like, well, it looked good, but it really ain't. <laughs> I'm using the ladder. I'm using the ladder. I go there and there's been water here in years. Uh, do you have any superstitions? Fishing superstitions I, at all? I don't have any superstitions. Like I've, I used to fish with a uh, partner whenever I was like 16, 17 years old. I'm actually going to fish with him Saturday. So it's pretty cool. And he would have a banana in the boat all the time. And we won a bunch of tournaments with a banana in the boat. So I'm not, I don't have any superstitions. The one thing about me is I really like for my clothes, you know, my shorts, my, my shoes, everything to be extremely comfortable. I don't want to have anything like I don't like for my shorts to be below my knees whenever it's hot and I feel like they start sticking to you and stuff. Like <laughs> I want to be extremely comfortable on the water, but I don't have any kind of superstitions. Everything like your hat, sunglasses. I need to be extremely comfortable, but I don't have any superstition. So if you're just meeting you for the first time during this interview, you it, you make it sound like you just care about the the. It's not about the goals. It's about the 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 growth i guess or the you know the the climb but i know you're competitive enough that you have to have some targets what has to have like what do you need to accomplish in this career to walk away and say man i made my mark or or i'm satisfied i want i want aoi at some point i'm not saying next year but at some point that's what i want to me like right now I would love to win a tournament like, or like the classic, that's like a jump starter for your career and all this stuff. But whenever I retire, the AOI would be the thing you, you have to cherish for me. Like, that's it. Like that's, you beat everybody all year. Like Seth fighter this past year, he didn't barely win it. He crushed us all year, all year long. He was the best from the beginning. And to me, just having an entire year where it's like you beat, a hundred of the absolute best all year long. And it, it's not like, like the classic is huge. It's a lot of pressure, but it's 15 bass. Like Seth fighter probably weighed in. I don't know how many, 145 bass to win this. Like it's not, there's no luck in that. To me, yeah. if you're going to retire, that's the thing you hang your hat on. That's it. So I want to win something bad. I don't care if it's an elite, the classic, whatever, but whenever I retire, I want to have an AOI. I'd really, really like to have an AOI. I hope I get to retire. I hope I don't get, you know, have bad performance and get booted off the elites. But that's the thing that I would look back on and, and be the most happy about for sure. Well, I, I don't think you're getting booted anytime soon. Did I screw up your – I mean, as soon as I started announcing you as, as always been in the top 10 for Angler of the Year, it was like like – an hour later, you slipped out of the top 10 for the first time. And, and yeah. now I got to say, you've never been out of the top 25 or whatever, but I know you'll, your goal is always, was it my fault? I don't think so at all. I don't, <laughs> I like, to me, there's nothing like, there's nothing nobody can say on the dock or at home or on, on the YouTube comments or Instagram comments. There's nothing they can say to change, 
you know, how the fish bite on Lake Champlain, you know, 20 miles away from the launch. There's so many obstacles and stuff like that, that it doesn't affect anything. If it doesn't affect me, it doesn't affect anything, you know? And I didn't feel any undue pressure to stay in the top 10, you know, like I was trying to win every single tournament. It was, you know, nothing changed. So you're excused from that. <laughs> All right. Well, well, you've, you've told us not to eat too much bread or your brain goes foggy. You've told us you don't, you don't think about the past. You don't look back. You're always moving forward. Give me one other peculiar thing that you think, like, give me something that you do that nobody else does when you're competing. You know, I don't know. Like, I feel like I fish different than everybody else, too. Like, if you watched me fish, you would be like, this dude is spun out. Like, he don't, he don't know what's going on right now. Because I'll, I'll pull up to a place that's like, you know, I'll pull up, make two casts over a rock, get back down, leave, and run over here and make one flip into a lay down, get up and leave, then go fish a bridge pylon. It's just I scramble, like, constantly. Like, that's what I do is I scramble. Unless I have something that I feel like is a pattern that I can run, so if you watch me fish, you would think that this dude has no idea what's going on. He is completely shooting from the hip, and he's missing everything he's shooting at right now. So that's what I would say that I do different is I I just go way too fast a lot of times. But people have been telling me since I was like 14 years old to slow down and stop running around so much. And it's worked out decent so far. But, I mean, th that's the other thing to me. And some other guys do similar things like that too. Yeah. But I can't – I don't have anything that sticks out too bad other than other than I look like I'm spun out all the time. Well, I love watching you compete, and and I don't think it's a question of if, uh, it's a question of when. You will win on the Elite Series, and I hope you get that Angler of the Year title. But thank you for allowing us in your bizarrely awesome brain. Anytime, anytime. All right, I'll let you get back to sweating. A big day of sweating ahead, is that what the plan is today? Well, usually down here in the south, they start generating current about 3 in the evening. So it's time to go catch some. We, we got about two hours of heaven down here. It's, you're sweating. It's terrible, but they bite. So they will be generating here in a couple hours. It's time to go catch a bass or fish. All right. Kyle Welcher, thank you very much. You're an amazing, amazing angling mind. And uh, I hope you'll be back here again sometime in the future. Yep, for sure. Appreciate it. Real quickly, tell all your subscribers, subscribe to this channel real quick, please. All my subscribers, subscribe yeah. to Dave's channel. And all Dave's subscribers, come subscribe to my channel, Kyle Welcher. I will put the link in the comments. Look at me sounding like a freaking YouTuber. Kyle Welcher, thank you very much. No problem. If you ask me, that kid, his way of thinking, his way of looking at things differently is exactly the reason why he's going to be successful and already has been successful on the Bassmaster Elite Series. And I hope you guys have a successful and amazing week. Go out there, enjoy being Drop a like, subscribe. I mean, let's make this official. Why not subscribe? We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to. You hear?